Hello, and thanks for listening to Verse by Verse with Clinton DeFrance. How should Christians respond when authorities forbid them from serving God? Find out when we study Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 32. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12 through verse 32. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. And they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, and brought them out, and said, Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning, and taught. But the high priest, and those with him, came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put into prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be a prince and a savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. After the divine demonstration of justice against Ananias and Sapphira, the Bible says that the engine of Christ's kingdom pushed forward with full speed. The spiritual manifestations of God's wrath against hypocrisy and blasphemous irreverence were balanced with spiritual manifestations of God's mercy and grace toward the humble and the suffering. Picking up in verse 12, And through the hands of the apostles, 
Many signs and wonders were done among the people. After the first miracle in the temple and the first persecution in the form of threats, the Bible says that the apostles and other Christians prayed together that no matter the consequence, God would continue to do whatever was necessary to glorify King Jesus. And they knew that meant miracles, amazing wonders that would unavoidably draw the attention not merely of the people, but the rulers. The wicked men, who had not so long before perpetrated the crucifixion of Jesus, are already antagonistic against the Christian preachers, but it's only going to get worse the more they do to draw attention and glory to their message. Yet in great boldness they pray, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word while you stretch out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders are done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 30. Here they put their prayers into action. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Here they are, back at the scene of the crime back to the business of invading the world with the kingdom of Christ. When Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit and inaugurated his reign and rule in the hearts of men, it truly was an invasion to conquest the world. W.J. Lamon said it this way, The crucifixion darkness that gathered at noonday, the earthquake and the rending of the temple veil, the report of the resurrection and the miracle of tongues, the New community of thousands and the continued wonder-working of the apostles were the relentless onslaught against the strongholds of the earthly system, more terrifying and awesome than an army with banners. But of course, an invasion is often met with aggression. Verse 13, Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. This is a difficult passage because it is challenging to identify the rest or the antecedent of them. Some suggest them as the church, and the rest are the hypocritical people like Ananias and Sapphira in the community. If this is the case, the meaning is that the discipline worked. While the sinners were not saved, the church was. and Those who would have caused harm knew to stay away. But sincere people were continually added, as the next verse demonstrates. Others suggest them refers to the apostles, and the rest were the other believers. This seems more likely. Why would they not dare to join the apostles in Solomon's porch? We should not think that faith to endure persecution comes easy or cheap. The boldness and the conviction of the apostles was largely based on what they had seen and heard, but it would take time and encouragement for that same boldness and conviction to form in the hearts of the others. However, in spite of the concerns of the believers, the apostles continued to preach Jesus publicly, and the people esteemed them highly. Verses 14 through 16, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Some manuscripts say they were added to their number, the same expression as in Acts 2, 41 and 47, meaning they were added to the church. You cannot be added to the Lord without being added to the community of his people. Multitudes of both men and women, Luke says. This is the first mention of women being converted since the day of Pentecost. It would not be the first women in the church. We remember Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
was a Christian, as well as the women who were faithful followers of Jesus during his earthly ministry and remained faithful followers even through the time of his crucifixion and uh, during the time of his burial. They were the ones who went and anointed his body. They were the first witnesses of his resurrection. But these would be the first women to be converted since the day of Pentecost. It was not common to include women in records of this sort, and so it may indicate that the number of women was larger than the number of men by this point. Verse 15 opens with, so that, meaning that what follows was an outgrowth of the previously mentioned facts. As the apostles continued to preach and work miracles, and as the number of believers continued to grow, awareness of the apostolic ministry and the power worked through their hands spread across the city so that they brought the sick out into the streets, literally on every street where the apostles were known to travel. They would turn one corner and all along the sides of the road, they would see the sick being laid on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. This is a very interesting statement, and it might seem a little superstitious to modern readers. But as many have observed, it must have worked because they continued to do it. Remember how people had been healed and raised from the dead by touching the hem of Jesus' garment and the bones of the prophet Elisha. So it isn't unreasonable for us to believe that this would happen if we accept the supernatural claims of the Bible. However, we should also note that miracles are not magic. They are exertions of the power of God by the will of God. And in this case, the likelihood is that Peter was fully conscious of what they were doing, and he was putting out the faith in Jesus' name that was necessary on his part for him to perform miracles according to his own testimony in Acts chapter 3 and verse 16. Evidently, the fame of the miracles spread even into the countryside because verse 16 says also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Notice, they were all healed. There was not a disease or demon that proved too much for the power and authority of Jesus. Now, in verses 17 and 18, the forces of the world begin their counterattack. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect or the school of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. As in the previous incident, it is the Sadducees, the priestly and political party that ruled in Jerusalem, who were the first enemies of Christianity. Why are they persecuting the apostles? As Peter noted earlier, all they can accuse them of is good deeds done to helpless people. But there are at least three likely suggestions for this animosity. The first is political. The Bible teaches that the message of Jesus, which was so otherworldly and peaceful, was antagonistic to the carnal, civic thoughts of men like this. Oftentimes, the Christian life does not ensure or protect one's civil liberties or social power and influence. Oftentimes, it demands their intentional sacrifice. So political people do not really and fully support the Christian system, at least not for long. They might pretend for a while, but soon it will become counterproductive and they will abandon it. 
and turn against it. The second possible reason for the negative disposition toward the Christians is financial. It has been noted that when Peter first healed the lame man in the temple, it was not only in front of the gold and silver plated doors of Corinthian brass called the beautiful gate, but beneath a giant golden vine with clusters of solid gold grapes as large as a man's head, which Herod had installed in the temple complex. As one noted, it is a mark of decadent religion to adorn its temples and neglect its men, to have beautiful gates that shut out beggars from the house of praise. And Peter marched into this ivory and golden palace of pretense and hypocrisy and said, surrounded by treasures on all sides, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the lame man did. And suddenly the opulence of the temple did not seem as impressive as before. However, the most likely cause of the animus was religious. Not that the Sadducees were especially religious. In fact, their religion was born out of compromise. But even so, the doctrine that defined them was their rejection of the resurrection from the dead. And wherever faith in the resurrection spread, their influence was bound to wane. Thus, their indignation, or literally jealousy, toward the people. They put them in the common prison, or the public jail, as the NASB says. This indicates that they were incarcerated with thieves and murderers and rapists, as though they were menaces to society who could not be allowed to walk the streets until their trial the next morning. I don't suppose the apostles were very troubled by this at all. This is what they'd prayed for. But remember that the other disciples were not so bold just yet. They lacked the confidence of the twelve, and now that threats had turned into another arrest, and this time a harsher treatment than before, it might utterly discourage the rest of the believers who still live in a rather unstable circumstance, and it could be the end of the Christian movement. So God moves in to demonstrate in the most amazing way the utter powerlessness of the powers of this world when they come against his purpose. Verses 19 through 20. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Most prisons have a guard or guards, but Roman soldiers could not keep Jesus in the tomb when an angel came to roll away the stone and bring him out of the prison cell of death, now the servants of the Lord share in a little sampling of that same liberating power. The angel commanded them to go back to the temple, back to the same place, and to the same people as before, and to preach the same message, all the words. The New American Standard Version says, the whole message of this life. That is, the message of eternal life through the risen Christ. And the angel says, leave nothing out. Do not compromise a single word. Verse 21 says, and when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. Verses 22 through 26, but the high priest and those who were with him came and called the council, or the Sanhedrin, together with all the elders of the children of Israel. Literally, this is the senate of the sons of Israel. This was an advisory body of other aged and authoritative men 
who assisted the Sanhedrin on special occasions. That night must have been a restless one for the high priest and those who were with him as they tried to consider what they should now do when threats and intimidation had failed, and it seems their initial plan was to try more intimidation by gathering the entire judicial body in all of its pomp and ceremony for a formal rebuke. So all the judges and senators and powerful men gather in their rows, and they prepare themselves to scowl and to puff out their chests at these simple Galilean fishermen until they crumble. And they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Some naturalists who deny the miraculous interpretation of the Bible have tried to suggest that the angel was simply a courageous disciple who snuck into the prison and broke the apostles out. But if that was so, then his managing to relock the doors from the inside and get them outside with the guard still standing there would have been about as miraculous as an angelic visit. Now, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. Literally, this means they were greatly perplexed and deeply anxious about how all this was going to end. So one came and told them, look, the men who you put into prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officer and brought them without violence. That is, they were discreet and more respectful this time, which indicates that the previous day they had been rough and abusive. For they feared the people, Luke says, lest they should be stoned. Facts like this must not be overlooked. The point is there were witnesses all over the place against the dishonesty of the leaders, the people knew the implications of the miracles these men were working and now regarded them as prophets of God. Verses 27 through 28. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Think of some of the things the apostles were accused of good works, mercy, and the fearless proclamation of the message of Christ. If this is what it means to be a Christian, could you be accused of being one? And if you were put on trial with these charges and your life examined, would you be found guilty? It is tragically ironic and perhaps altogether dishonest that the leaders of the Jews indignantly protest that the apostles intend to bring this man's blood against them when they themselves cried out to Pilate, perhaps just a few months earlier, his blood be on us and on our children, Matthew 27, 25, as Jesus said, for every idle word that men may speak, they will give an account. Verses 29 through 32. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created Israel and gave them their identity, raised up Jesus, that is, God raised him up from the dead when you murdered him by hanging him on a tree. Peter reminds the rulers that his blood is on their heads. They killed God's Messiah in a cursed and 
shameful fashion. Him God has exalted to his right hand. You humiliated him, but God has lifted him up, given him glory to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The idea of giving repentance is one that deserves consideration because we think of repentance as something a man does himself. When he turns around his heart, people are commanded to repent. But the meaning here is that Jesus gave the opportunity, the space, the privilege of repentance, even to those who killed him. And he would pardon them of their sins. And Peter continues, We are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter reminds again that the testimony of himself and the other apostles is of the highest kind. Eyewitness testimony. They had been privileged to see wonderful things, and now they carried the burden of sharing those things with the world. But they were not the only witnesses testifying to the truth of the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus. So also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. There are many blessings in the life of the believer because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But in this context, Peter has clear reference to the miracles worked through the apostles' hands. These were the great signs that the apostles were not blasphemers or lawless men. The Spirit would not have been given to them unless they were obedient. Or as the Living Oracles translation so appropriately says, unless they submitted to his government. The works of the Spirit were signs of King Jesus, alive and present with his people. Now, before we conclude, we need to talk a little bit about Peter's words, we ought to obey God rather than men. A better translated or expressed in the New American Standard Version we must obey God rather than men. But I want us to understand, especially in this current season, when these words are used quite a bit and quoted quite freely and loosely, that Peter was not lawless or rebellious. This same man would later write, to Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, and admonish them, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. This same apostle would identify one of the qualities of false teachers as that they despise authority and teach others to do the same, that they speak evil of dignitaries and those who are in power. God expects us to be submissive, obedient people, to live under the authorities he has placed over us, to live a quiet and peaceable life, to bring no reproach against him by using our liberty as a cloak for vice. But when man commands us to disobey God, 
to do what is evil or to forsake what is good when God has given no exceptions. We must obey God. There may be consequences. We may lose our freedom, our safety, even our lives. But the God who raised up Jesus calls on us to trust him, to go and to stand and to move forward with mercy and goodness and not to compromise even a single word of this life. Thanks again for listening. Please subscribe to keep up with our weekly releases as we continue through the scriptures together. Verse by Verse is brought to you by the 11th Street Church of Christ in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It is part of the Growing Biblical Studies program of Tulsa. To learn more, visit our website, bspoftulsa.com. When we walk with the Lord, when we walk with the Lord, in the light of His Word, in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way, sheds on our Goodwill. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey, trust and obey, trust and obey, trust and obey, trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. for there's no, no other way.